We began a series a couple weeks ago, and the series is called Fab Five, and the reason why we call it Fab Five is because we wanted to look at what we think are the most fabulous five commandments that Jesus uh, gave. Based on those five commandments, we thought that Jesus taught those all throughout his earthly ministry. There was so much information, so much uh, experiences and um, circumstances that uh, Jesus uh, did that gave uh, the writers enough information to write down in, within the gospel messages. We take, we're going to take those five commands, and we think that these five commands really are the crux of all of the commandments and all of the teachings of the, of the New Testament. The biggest overarching reason, the banner of this whole uh, sermon series is based on this statement. We believe, and I hope you believe as well, that life is better following Jesus, and following Jesus makes you better at life. We started out a few weeks ago talking about how uh, Jesus has all the credibility in the world for us, and that uh, he, according to um, our Heavenly Father, that um, we should listen to Jesus, whatever Jesus says we should do. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said that um, all authority was, was given to him on heaven, in heaven and on, on earth. And so as a result of that, we should listen to what he says. We should listen to what he commands of us. Last week, Juan did uh, an amazing job talking about the first fabulous uh, commandment. And Juan talked about how we should and what Jesus said we should do, and that's sin no more. That's fab five number one, sin no more. And what Jesus talked about when it comes to sin, he says that when sin takes its course, it is really the destruction of all things. Um, mainly it's the destruction of relationship. And, and what Jesus wants for you and he want, what he wants for me is that he wants us to, to have uh, relationships that work. Most importantly, he wants us to have the best relationship with him possible. And so he gives this demanding statement that tells us that sin no more. And when it comes to Jesus' commands, it's always less complicated, but it's always more demanding. And that's what it really what it boils down to with these five commands. Yeah, they sound less complicated than maybe all of the 613 commandments, but they're always more demanding. But we believe that Jesus, uh, because of who Jesus is and the credibility of Jesus, that he died and he predicted that he would die. He was buried. He predicted that he would be buried. And he rose again and he predicted that he would rise from the grave. We think that because of that, he has all the credibility in the world. And when he tells us that we can sin no more, uh, we should believe that we can. I don't know about you, but I have lots of worries. Um, we all, I think, battle with worries. I have what, um, what I call pointless worries, and I think you do as well. I have worries at times where I'm concerned about how I look, uh, what people will think of me based on what I'm wearing, or sometimes I worry because I maybe ask a dumb question, and, and I think to myself, boy, that was really kind of a dumb question to ask, and I wonder how they think of me, and sometimes we worry about maybe stains on our shirt, what people will think about that little small stain, or, um, or we oftentimes think, you know, think that we're being judged based on, 
you know, what we're eating. You know, we, uh, we decide that we want to, you know, go through a drive-through or, you know, at McDonald's or Burger King. And, and hey, if you want to grab a Whopper, that's up to you to decide if you wanted to eat a Whopper or not. But that's oftentimes how we feel, though. We feel like we have to hide certain things so that we are not judged by them. And uh, maybe you feel worried about because you forgot someone's name and you can't remember or recall their name and and uh, and so you you worry about you know the the fact that that how they're you know going to perceive that um, maybe you worried because you forgot your phone or or you wore the same outfit twice that week or maybe your team your favorite team um, was is going to lose the game and and you get concerned about about that. Um, there's lots of what I call pointless worries, but there's also worries that aren't so pointless. There's what I call pestering worries. Uh, maybe there's a worry that there's not enough gas in my car to make it to work. Uh, you, maybe you're worried that you didn't leave early enough to get to work on time with the traffic. Maybe you're worried about that there wasn't enough money in your checking account to, to cover um, some, some uh, expense. Uh, maybe you're worried because you're you you're going to catch a, a, a sickness, um, and that you'll have to fight because somebody that you work with is is sick. These are what I call pestering worries, and then there's what is called pressing worries. These are things that are um, have a little bit more weight to them. They're certainly not pointless, and they're even a, a little bit weightier than pestering worries. They're pressing worries. The company is maybe cutting back uh, your hours at work or. Uh, maybe you're in a relationship and it's just not really going the way that you want it to go and you're sort of at a loss with it. Maybe it's somebody that you care about that's struggling with an addiction and they seem to be resisting any kind of help that you're trying to offer them. These are pressing worries. And then there's even another category. There's a paralyzing worries or panic-producing worries. There's maybe a, you go to the doctor and, and the doctor tells you that uh, you or somebody that you love has some sort of terminal illness. Or maybe you've experienced recently that uh, a loved one who, is, who has died, and maybe uh, it was unexpected or, or unexpected, but it's still a, a paralyzing, panic-producing worry. Maybe you're going through some sort of family crisis, or maybe you showed up to work and the, your boss brought you into their office and told you that they needed to lay you off or, or just let you go. These are paralyzing worries. We all have them. We all have them. Whether they're pointless worries from stains on our shirt to paralyzing worries, and that's a loss of a job or a loss of a loved one. We all have them. Jesus says in John 16, 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. So he's saying, in me, you can have peace, and we're going to get back to that here in a minute. But he says, in the world, living in the world, you will have tribulations. You will have concerns. You will have worries. You'll have anxieties. You're going to have these things. Then he says, but take courage, but take courage. In other translations of the Bible, it says, but be of good cheer, be of good cheer. He says, for I have overcome the world. And this right here is the reason why we should listen to the commands of Jesus. This right here is why we should pay attention to what Jesus says we can do. 
This right here is the reason why Jesus says to us, sin no more. Sin no more. But it's also the reason why Jesus says that we don't need to worry anymore. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 6, 25, it says this, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried. Do not be worried. It's the reason why we don't have to be worried, even though there's so many things, so many concerns, so many fears, so many anxieties that we have in life, whether they be pointless or they're not really pointless to you, whether they be pestering or pressing or paralyzing. But for this reason, for the reason that Jesus overcame the world, even though there's tribulation, even though there's hardship, even though there's concern, even though there's anxiety, Jesus says, I've overcome it. And he says to you and to me, you don't have to be worried. You don't have to be worried. And that's fab five number two is worry no more or do not be worried. And he says, don't be worried about your life as to what you eat or what you will drink nor your body as to what you will put on. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And what Jesus is is saying to us is this, is that, um, first of all, he's saying um, these were the problems of first century people. First century people had third world problems. They, They worried about things like food. They worried about things like water. They worried about things like clothing. And it's interesting, though, if, they, if there was a first century person who came to your house, they would assume that you don't have any worries in the world. They would assume that, well, wow, look at all the food you have. Wow, look at all the water. The water just comes out of this faucet, and you have unlimited amounts of water. Wow, look at all the clothes that you have. You literally have a closet that you can walk into, and it's full of clothes. They would assume that you don't have any worries in the world. But we know that we have our own worries. We have relationship worries. We have, you know, personal struggle worries. We have job security worries. We have health worries. We have retirement worries. We have our own worries that we, that, that we lose sleep over at, at night. But they had their own worries as well. And what Jesus' point was this, he, 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 would, he said to them, is not life, is not life more than food or in the body more than clothing? But he would say to you, is not life more than this possession deteriorating? Is not life more than your personal struggle? Is not life more than you attaining wealth? Is not life more important than those things? And when you worry and when I worry, we equate our worry to the importance level of your life. But we know that life is more important. Our legacy, our purpose of this life, our relationships that we have in this life, those things are more important than our, than our worries. But when we worry about certain things, it brings it to the same level. It, it equates our worry with how important life is. And Jesus said, isn't life more than that? Isn't life more than that? And he says in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. 
Now, when I'm thinking about worry, I'm, the last thing I'm thinking about is the birds of the air. And when, they're taught, when Jesus is talking about their worries of food and clothing and water, the last thing that they want to think about when they're wondering what they're going to drink that day or wondering what they're going to eat that day or wondering what they're going to put on that day or how long that, that clothing is going to last, the last thing they're worried about and the last thing you're worried about is the birds of the air. But Jesus points them to the birds of the air, and, that, and he says this, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And then he says in verse 27, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Great question by Jesus. In verse 28, why are you worried about clothing? And then he tells them to look at the lilies. He says, observe how the lilies of the field grow. Again, last thing that you're thinking about as you're, as you're thinking about your concerns and your worries and your future and, and what that entails. The last thing you're thinking about is lilies and flowers of the field. But Jesus tells them to look at the lilies of the field and how they do not toil. In other words, they do not work, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, verse 29, that not even Solomon, who was the, one of the most prosperous kings in all of Israel, um, just had everything at his disposal, had everything in it that he could ever have wanted, um, in, in, in all of his glory, he says, and Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself, did not, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. Then he says, but if God so clothed the grass of the fields, which is, here's Jesus's point now, if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. And it's interesting here in this phrase, you of little faith, because those two words, little and faith, they're never put together in any other Greek literature. Not even in outside of New Testament Greek writing are these two words put together. These two words were sort of a play on words for Jesus. Jesus makes the statement, you of little faith, and and the crowd probably laughed because of how it was said. And so when Matthew's writing down this account, because Matthew was there when it happened, when Matthew's writing down the account of what happened that day, he probably didn't really even know how to word or, and even verbalize or communicate in a um, grammatically correct way of you of little faith. And so he puts these two words together that normally wouldn't go together. And probably the statement was along the lines of this. That when Jesus said, how much, or he, how much more will he clothe you? When he said, you of little faith, he probably said something along the lines of, you little faithers, you. You little faithers, you. And that the question that Jesus said is this. Listen, you know what the problem is? You know what the problem is when it comes to your worry? 
You know what the problem is when it comes to the things that you lose sleep over? You know what the problem is to the, when it comes down to the things that, you know, you get stressed out about? The problem is usually trust. The problem is usually faith. And this is what the problem was for, for them, those who were worried about food and clothing and what they would drink. And, and Jesus said, listen, listen, listen. Don't you trust that just when, as, as God clothed the, the lilies of the field, that he is going to clothe you? Can't you trust that just as God provides for the birds of the air that God is going to provide for you? Don't you know that when with that God is, is interested in you know you greater than any anything else that he's ever created? He says then verse 31 he says do not worry then saying what will you eat or what will you drink or what will you wear for clothing? He says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Then he makes this statement that I think is so important for us to hear. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And whatever it is that your category, and yours isn't food probably, and yours isn't clothing, and yours isn't what you're going to drink that day, but yours might be retirement, or yours might be your health, or yours might be your personal struggle, or yours might be your deteriorating possessions, or yours might be your a relationship. Whatever it is, wherever you can fill in the blank that he wants you to understand that your heavenly Father knows what you need. Wouldn't it change for us? Wouldn't it be something for us that if we could just realize that you have a perfect heavenly Father who is aware of what you need? What would radically change for us if we just believed, if we just had enough faith, if we just trusted enough and know that there's a God in heaven who is concerned about what you're going through and what you lose sleep over, that he knows, I think it would radically change. It's interesting in that statement in verse 32. He says the Gentiles, he says the Gentiles seek, eagerly seek all these things. And that phrase Gentiles is a, a phrase that the best way to describe it is um, that they are a, a people who aren't, don't know God. There are people that don't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that's what Jesus was trying to describe here. It's, it's that they were people that just don't have a relationship with, with, with Jesus. They don't have a relationship with, with a perfect heavenly father. And that the, they, the Gentiles, who are outside of relationship with God, they eagerly seek after. That word seek means to run after or to chase after. They eagerly seek after all these things. What things? The things that they worry about and that's what they do and what Jesus is saying to us is this that's not that shouldn't be a marker or an identifier for somebody who does have a relationship 
with a perfect Heavenly Father. That those who don't have a relationship with a Heavenly Father, they're the ones that are seeking after the worries. But those who do have a relationship with a Heavenly Father, those who do have a relationship with the Son of our Heavenly Father, Jesus, that they shouldn't be seeking after these things. But knowing, instead, knowing that our Heavenly Father is aware of what we need. He says in verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom. So instead of doing what the people that don't know God or don't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father do, and that is they run after their worries, they run after a solution to their anxiety, they run after to an alternative to their concerns. Instead, a person who has a relationship with God needs to run first, seek first, before anything else, seek first, before they run anywhere else, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, somebody that has a relationship with God should run to the things of God before they run into anywhere else. And the question that I have for you is, what's worked for you? What's worked for you? Has running to your worry, has running to other alternatives other than your heavenly father, how has that gone for you? How has that played out in your life? Has it improved your situation? For me, it hasn't. So instead of running towards worry, I think that you should run towards God. Instead of trusting in your worry, I think that you should trust in your perfect heavenly father. Because what sounds better to you? What sounds better? Is it life is better following worry and following worry makes you better at life. Does that sound right? Life is better following worry, and following worry makes you better at life. Or the alternative is, which is what our banner is in this series, and that is life is better following Jesus, and following Jesus makes you better at life. And Jesus says, hey, instead of running after another solution to your worry, run after him. Run after him. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus says this, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus takes our worry, all the worries that we have. Jesus takes our worry, our health worries, our retirement worries, our, our deteriorating possession worries, our personal struggle worries, our job security worries, our relationship worries, our wealth 
worries. He takes all of those worries and Jesus puts them into another category, one category. And so instead of having six or seven different categories of worry, health, job, relationship, wealth, retirement, instead of having different categories of the things that we worry about, Jesus says, I want you to take all of those categories and I want you to put them into one category called tomorrow. And Jesus, if, you, if I could try to paint the picture as you're listening to this, imagine that there's, there's two buckets. And one bucket says today, and the other bucket says tomorrow. And Jesus wants you to take your worries. For them, it was food, drink, clothing. For you, it's health, retirement, struggles, wealth, relationship. Go on and on and on and on with how many different categories of different things that we worry about. Jesus says, I want you to take all of those worries that you have, and I want you to put them into one bucket called tomorrow. And I want you to put them in that bucket called tomorrow. And I want you to call them those worries. That I want you to call those worries, those worries tomorrow because that's what they are. They're just in the tomorrow bucket. And Jesus said, I, I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. Because he's saying today has enough worry of its own. And so what we're good at is that we're good at taking what we have today. And so Jesus says, okay, so in your today bucket is this category called troubles. And each day, each day, today, you're, you have your own troubles, enough troubles of its own. In your tomorrow bucket is all of these other worries and all of the other categories of worry that you have in your tomorrow bucket. But in your today bucket, you just have troubles. That's enough for you today to deal with. So what Jesus is telling us to do is he's telling us not to borrow from our tomorrow bucket and put it into today bucket. Because if our troubles, if our worries are like bricks, it becomes weighty. It becomes too much for us to carry. So Jesus says, I want you to leave those worry categories in the tomorrow bucket, and I want you to just put all of those worries into one category called tomorrow, and I want you to leave them there in there tomorrow, and I want you to just worry about carrying your today bucket with the troubles of today. I want you to just concern yourself with that. Because if you start borrowing from tomorrow, you're going to weigh down your concerns for today. The way I want to say it to you is this. Don't borrow more sorrow from tomorrow and smuggle more trouble into today. Don't borrow more sorrow from tomorrow and smuggle more trouble into today. Why? Because today has enough trouble of its own and God wants you to understand that he's with you and for you today and he'll be with you and for you tomorrow but until that happens he just wants you to know that he's with you he knows what you need today so don't borrow more sorrow into from tomorrow and smuggle more trouble into today. A couple examples of that is um, the manna 
in, in, in uh, Exodus when Moses delivers the people out of Egypt and they cross the Red Sea and after they cross the Red Sea, they run out of food and after they run out of food, God tells Moses that I'm going to provide food for you every single day. And that, and sure enough, that's exactly what God did. God showed himself to be trustworthy. God showed himself to be faithful. And every single morning, they woke up with manna. They woke up with bread from heaven. Every single day, there was enough of it to feed everyone. Every single day. And what happened is, is that some of the Israelites began to wisen up a little bit and to think that they could maybe get ahead of the game. But really, the problem was is their trust in God. The problem was, was their faith in God. And they started to try to store up. They tried to save up the, some of the manna for the next day or the next day or the next day. And any time that they tried to take that manna and they tried to save it for the next day and store it up for the future, it would always rot. It would always spoil. It was no good. And the problem was there was a faith issue, and that's usually the problem with us trusting God for today. It's always a faith issue. But what God wanted to prove to them and what God wants to prove to you is that he's going to meet your need and he's going to be with you today. And today is enough trouble of its own. Jesus, while he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said this in the prayer. He says, when you pray to your heavenly father, you should pray this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Not give us this day and the next day our daily bread, but just today, I trust you, God. I trust you, Heavenly Father, with today that you're gonna meet the need. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and, and I would assume that it would say, and tomorrow, but it doesn't say tomorrow. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, and forever. That God wants us, and the reason why I believe that is because God wants us to have an eternal perspective, not a short-term perspective. That God wants us to trust him for today. And he also wants us to trust him when today is over and in the next day, in the next day. He wants you to trust him in the next day, in the next day. And when that day comes, you trust him that day. And when that day comes, you trust him in that day. And when that day comes, you trust him in that day. And God doesn't want you to be short-sighted and only think about Tomorrow, God wants you to trust him today, and he is going to be faithful to you. Why? Because he's always been faithful. He was faithful yesterday. He was faithful today. And guess what? He is going to be faithful forever because that's who he is. And boy, that is less complicated, but certainly more demanding. That God says, hey, I just want you to trust me for today. It's certainly less complicated. 
but it's hard for us to not to do what the Gentiles do, and that is to seek after our worries and concerns, to run after things, alternatives, before we run after God. And the payoff for us is this. Here's the payoff. And it goes back to John 16, 33, that he says that in me you can have peace, but in this world you're going to have tribulations. And in, he says in, in the payoff for us is this, that it's a peace that only God gives. That's the payoff. That the payoff for trusting God today is with our worries and putting all of our categories of worries into the one category bucket called tomorrow and leaving it there and being concerned with just what God wants, what God wants to do today and how God wants to meet your need today. That the payoff for us is, is a peace that only God gives. In John 14, 27, he, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And it's not as the world gives do I give to you. It's not the kind of peace that the world can give us. It's not the kind of peace that because some sort of issue has been resolved and you have peace, you can sort of check that off of your worry category. You don't have to lose sleep over that anymore because that's been solved. It's not that kind of peace. It's the kind of peace that only God gives. It's the kind of peace that you have in Jesus. And he says, it's not as what the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be worried. Don't let your heart be concerned. Don't let your heart have anxiety. Why? Because he offers the kind of peace that is the payoff of just trusting him every single day. So what do we do with this? What do we do? Well, I think there's some things that I think are helpful for us to, to, to begin to do. And, and I, I think these are ways for us in order for us to eliminate some of the worries in our life and, and, and for us to realize that what Jesus said, that he overcame the world and that he tells us that we don't need to be worried that he, these are things that we could do in order for us to begin the process of no longer carrying worry. And it's possible. And what seems impossible for us is not impossible with God. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that. He says what's impossible for man is not impossible for God, for all things are possible with God. And if Jesus says the one who died and predicted that, the one who wrote, was buried predicted that, the one who rose from the grave predicted that, if he's the one that did those things and tells us that we don't need to sin no more, it can happen. If he tells us that we don't need to worry no more, it can happen. But here's the beginning of that process. The first thing that we need to start with is this, is prayer. And I know it's the obvious beginning point, but I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, who understood the concept of putting his faith in Jesus every single day, said to this church in Philippi, in chapter 4, starting in verse 6, he tells them this, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So instead of having anxiety, he says pray. Instead of when you feel worry, come on, you pray. When you feel concern for tomorrow, come on, you pray. When you feel overwhelmed by life circumstances, you pray instead. With a heart and with an attitude of gratitude, he says, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And then he says this, when you do that, and the peace of God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. Why does it surpass all comprehension? Because it's God's peace. It's not the world's peace. It's God's peace. Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And when you give prayer a head start, it will always outpace your worry. When you get ahead of your worry and you start your day with prayer, it will always stay ahead of your worry. Prayer will always outrun and outpace worry. You just have to give it the start. So before you start to worry, you let prayer begin your day. The other thing I think is important for us to know and help us through this process of eliminating worry and anxiety in our life is prepare, prepare. It's interesting when Jesus was talking about the birds and he was talking about the lilies, that he made these statements that they don't sow and they don't reap and they don't gather. The birds, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather. He talks about the lilies. He says they, they don't toil and they don't spin. But what he was saying there and what he was saying to them and what he's saying to us is, but we can, but we can. That we can prepare. We can plan ahead. We can think ahead. And we, because of that, we have the capacity to worry because we think ahead, we plan ahead, and we, so then we have, gives us the capacity to worry. But what he wants us to do is he gives us the ability to think ahead and to plan ahead so we don't have to worry. That we have the ability to sow and to reap and to gather. That we do have the ability to toil, to work, and to spin to think ahead. We have that ability. So when you're, if you're worried about a relationship, you're worried about maybe your marriage, your kids, you have the ability to, to sow into something and then you'll reap the benefits. You have the ability to maybe sow into, you know, maybe a, a, a resource that will help in the area of relationship, uh, read a book or two, or maybe listen to a podcast. Uh, you have the ability to work at that relationship. Lilies don't have the ability to work at it. They're just clothed by God, but God takes care of them. Birds don't have the ability to sow and to reap and to gather, but we do. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's your budget or your retirement plan. You have the ability to prepare and to plan and to think ahead. You have the ability to talk to an expert. You have the ability to have self-control when it comes to your spending. 
Maybe it's a health issue. In, in, in some helpful things, there's, there's ways, there's things out there that will help with your health worries that you have. And, and maybe there's people in your life, maybe there's professionals you know, that you've gone to see and talk to that tell you that you need to make these dietary changes or begin these exercise regimens or maybe sleep a little bit more. These are just some things that I think what you can do and I can do to be more prepared. And when we're more prepared, we're not as worried. And maybe it's a job security thing. Well, Maybe it's working harder. Maybe it's being on time. Maybe it's staying later. Maybe it's just simply just taking on the responsibility that you have. I don't know what it is for you, but all I know is this, is that what will oftentimes eliminate a lot of anxiety in our life is the ability that we have, that birds don't have, though they're taken care of, that lilies don't have, though they're taken care of, that we have the ability to prepare so prayer is number one, get ahead of your worry. Get ahead of your worry with prayer. Prepare is number two. Number three, the third thing is participate. Participate, what does that mean? What, is that, what, what do I mean by participate? Well, here's what I think uh, God is, Jesus is saying here. When he talks about how the Gentiles run after these things, they run after other alternatives, uh, to, to solve the problem of their worry or their anxiety. Um, and he tells us that we're to seek first his kingdom. We're to seek first his, his kingdom and his righteousness. What, what Jesus is, is telling us is this. This is such a, a brilliant perspective that Jesus gives when, it, when, it talks, when he talks about worry, within the context of worry. He says that when we focus first on God's kingdom... When we focus first on God's kingdom, God takes responsibility for our kingdoms. When we focus first on God's kingdom, God takes responsibility for your kingdom. And when you are tempted to borrow from tomorrow, stop and participate in what God is doing today. So when you're tempted to think about worry, so when, you're, when worry rises up, when worry you know, comes to your mind and you start thinking about things about in tomorrow and the future, worry should trigger kingdom concern. Worry should trigger kingdom concern is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, listen, before you think about anything that you have to worry about, and for them, food, clothing, uh, water for us, health, wealth, security. Um, he says when you worry, worry should be a trigger for you to participate in what God is doing in the world. That it should trigger kingdom concern. For example, when you worry, you should pray for somebody else. When, you, when worry comes on, you should call someone or text someone and encourage them in the Lord. When you worry, maybe you should write a note. Or when you worry, you should call you know, your, your pastor and say, where can I get involved with? Where can I serve with? Worry should trigger kingdom concern. And what Jesus is telling us is this. Here's how you 
negate worry. Here's how you wash worry away is that when you replace it with kingdom concern. When we focus first, when we focus first on God's kingdom, God takes responsibility for our little kingdoms. What if we did this? What if we decided that for a week, for two weeks, for a month maybe, that we got ahead, that we outpaced worry with our prayer life? What if we decided that we're going to do our part in this process and prepare and to plan and to think ahead? What if we decided to first concern ourselves with what God is doing in our community, what God is doing in your church, what God is doing in the world? instead of running to other alternatives to your worry. What would change? What would change if we did that? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have through your son Jesus to have peace. And that's ultimately the payoff here. It's a peace that only you give. It's not the kind of peace that the world gives. And just right now in this moment as we pray, it's us just getting ahead. It's getting out in front of our worry. And it's leaving it in the tomorrow category because you're with us today. You're through our, with our struggles today. And you, just as every day happens, you're going to continue to be with us every single day. And we just want to trust you with that. And we're going to prepare and we're going to participate and we're going to put your kingdom first before we put ours. Because ultimately, that's what we do when we worry. We worry about our own kingdom instead of trusting you with it. And so when we're tempted to borrow more sorrow from tomorrow and smuggle more trouble into today, we're going to stop and participate in what you are doing today. And that's what worry triggers. And I think if we all did this, if we all applied these principles, it would radically change our lives, our families, our community, our churches. It would radically change the world. Be with each one. I pray for them and their families. And that worry becomes eliminated from their minds, and it's only you that they consider. In Jesus' name, amen.